Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC. Through the lens of Mississippi, I am Parrish Alford, the Ole Miss beat writer for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, and I'm joined today by our Mississippi State writer, Dalton Middleton. Dalton, how are you, man? Parrish, man, I'm all right. I feel like this may have been the fastest baseball season I've ever worked through. I mean, you know, outside of last season, I think last season was a little quicker since it got cut off so early. But, uh, you know, it's hard to think this is already the last regular season, week of the regular season, and uh, we're, we're about to be in Hoover next week. You know, I tell Mike Bianco at the beginning of every season that, like, what, what, of course, every season <laughs> until last year, which was different, and it's kind of a we're all looking for normal again. And hopefully normal is, uh, is around the corner. Uh, but – my favorite event, one of my favorite events to cover every year is Mike Bianco's Ole Miss baseball preseason press conference. And he, he looked at me odd, odd and said, well, why is that? And I said, because when I come here for the preseason baseball press conference, it's like summer's almost here. You know, we start this thing uh, back in August with football and we go through basketball and then we have the, you know, the overlap seasons of basketball finishing and spring football going on and, and baseball too. And I said, by the, by the time though, you get to the baseball preseason conference, preseason press conference, but then a, you get into the games and, and, and then when you get past that overlap season, man, it's like the, the games just click off the calendar. And, and pretty soon you get to uh, that uh, minimal summer break that we have, you know, you get, you get to where it just dials back a little bit and, and that's okay. So I always tell, uh, Tell Mike that um, I really enjoy his preseason baseball press conference. Yeah, I was sitting there. I was I was talking to Julian about this the other day, and it was crazy because uh, you know we're this is the tenth week of SEC baseball schedule, so that only SEC only. And I feel like it has just gone by so much faster than the ten week stretch of football season. Football seemed to drag on this year, and I don't know if it was because state was as bad as they were or what it was, but football just seemed to drag on, and baseball just seems like you know. Uh, I, I blinked yesterday, and that was the LSU series to open it up. You know, that was two months ago now. So it just it's, it's very odd how fast it's gone. Yeah, it, they, they do seem to click off a little uh, little faster uh, in the spring. Hey, folks, uh, we want to thank our partners, the Oxford Park Commission, for coming along for the ride with Justify Your Existence. So many activities there, and you can find out more at Oxford parkcommission.com one of those activities dalton if you want to in if you want to improve your hoops game this summer man you can do that with the oxford park commission develop your hoops talent folks uh with opc's erica sisk former women's basketball standout she's going to be uh holding camps there in june and july both months through both months there it's for ages five to ten from 5.45 to 6.30 in the evenings, and for ages 11 to 15, from 6.30 to 7.45. That's every Tuesday and Wednesday, starting June the 1st. Cost is $150 per month, and the camps, as we mentioned, are June and July. You can find more information at OxfordParkCommission.com. Dalton, uh, speaking of uh, games, clicking off the calendar. It seemed like that Missouri series got away from the Bulldogs, uh, I guess, kind of quickly and maybe unexpectedly. I mean, Missouri had lost like 10 in a row going into that series, right? Uh, what, you know, certainly a, a surprise. What what happened there? 
Yeah, state's gonna uh, state's gonna wish this game could actually click off the calendar for sure, um, because that was just it was just an ugly series all weekend long. Uh, you know, Missouri came out and was swinging the bat really well. That was that was a lot. The Missouri looked a lot better than five and whatever record five and twenty record or whatever they had. Um, but state played really, really bad. They they couldn't field. That was one of the worst fielding weekends I've seen out of the SCC team probably ever. Um, you know, I think every single game, including that Saturday game that was like sixteen to eight. I think there was six unearned runs for that Missouri scored. And it just seemed like every single time Missouri would would get somebody on base, there was an error following. All of a sudden, you know, they were on third base, and then uh, of course they would always score because then they're on third base with no outs and any competent team's going to score a guy from like that usually. Um, but yeah, no, Missouri, honestly, just from, from what, from what um, we were told the press conferences and stuff is just that, you know, state kind of overlooked them and that that's what happened. And uh, Missouri came out and wanted to play and state just looked like they were looking, they were looking towards Hoover or looking towards the national seat because they just got, uh, they got their tails beat all weekend. Um, you know, that Friday night game, Christian McLeod comes out there in a Thursday night game. I'm sorry. Uh, Christian McLeod comes out there and just pitches terrible. I don't even think he made it out of the third inning. I don't, I don't even think he pitched three complete innings. Um, Missouri just get out there and just hit it all over the field. State's making errors left and right, you know, booting ground balls. Um, I think they made two errors in the first that, or two errors, one in the first, one in the second, that game that led to an early deficit. Um, and then State trailed the entire game on Thursday night until to like the I think the eighth inning, seventh or eighth inning, where they scored a couple runs um, and hit the game when it hit on an infield hit. They got beat out two run infield hit. Um, and then of course Saturday, Bedner comes out. He throws he throws a decent game. You know he throws well. Um, allowed two earned runs and in, in five innings I think, and that was the best outing from a starting pitcher the whole night. Um, but then after that, the bullpen just blew it. You know, uh, they come out there with, I think, four innings and allowed five runs or something in four innings, just did not pitch well. Um, State had to use Landon Sims, Preston Johnson, and Brandon Smith on Friday just to secure that win. So your top three bullpen arms all pitched on Friday night. And so on Saturday, when you have you have a couple – you have more good arms in there, but they just not quite as good as those three. End up blowing that lead in the ninth, and then Saturday was just a mess. Um, Houston Harding started on the mound. You know, he gets himself a ground ball, a ground, uh, a double play ball in the first inning and makes an error on it. Both those guys come around to score. Then uh, next inning, they pull him because he's not pitched uh, the third inning or something like that. You know, he's not, he hasn't pitched great. And all of a sudden, uh, it was a single and then an error and then a, a walk or something like that. And the next guy hits a grand slam. And so all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're down eight nothing now or something like that. And then uh they 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 fought back, but uh Missouri brought in a guy that had a fifteen ERA and he threw five scoreless innings, allowed three hits. So uh that's never a good thing whenever you're on the opposing part of that. And then State made two more errors that allowed four more runs in the ninth inning or something like that. So it's just well Parrish, when I tell you man that uh it was just errors galore this weekend. Like I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not exaggerating. There, so many unearned runs, so many errors. This is one of the worst fielding performances I've ever seen in college baseball. Well, when I saw the scores, it sounded like um, 
that they just completely, totally overlooked Missouri. And you, you just base that on the success. I mean, the, the record sheet of the, both of these teams and, you know, the paths they've taken coming in. It, look, it just they look totally disinterested in that series. And what we see so many times, when you start out that way, it's really hard to flip a switch in the middle. But, uh, you know, that usually kind of shows up itself, shows up in errors like you're talking about. I'm kind of surprised that that – that uh, bullpen arm after bullpen arm, nobody was kind of able to slow that down in those losses and and give State a little momentum. And it kind of seems like that's where it would start, that somebody from the bullpen would come in locked in and pitch a little better than, uh, than the play that was around them. Yeah, and you would think so, and then it just doesn't happen. But, you know, I think that's more – I don't know if that's that's poor planning from the pitching staff or what, but you know, um, Missouri had um, 14 leadoff hits to start off innings on this weekend. So, what 14 out of 27 of the innings they had a leadoff guy on. That's not just hits; that's walks, whatever. They got the leadoff guy 14 out of 27 times on, and he scored. They that person scored 10 out of 14 times. That's not good, you know. And some of those were because of errors. Some of those were just because of, you know, timely hits. Um, but, you know, they came out, they hit the ball well, and they got to the bullpen, and they just kept taking advantage of it, you know. It seemed like every single time somebody missed a spot, and, you know, it, it wasn't like the usual game where, you know, you miss a spot, somebody might hit it, they might, you know, you might get lucky. It's If, if one of the state pitchers missed their spot, it was getting hit to the outfield. And um, – and that's just that's exactly what happened. And, um, you know, the bullpen arms getting hit, of course, is going to happen initially. You know, sometimes it's going to happen. Um, they get the, but the Mississippi State pitching staff gave up five times, five times the amount of runs they've given up on average this year, I think is what it was. And Missouri's offense is, uh, I think they came into this the weekend, they scored 17 runs in one weekend against, against Alabama, maybe. And they scored 27 runs against Mississippi State this weekend. So um, they scored 16 runs in the final. So, you know, almost as many runs they've scored an entire series all year in one game. And uh, I think it starts with the, the starting pitchers. You know, Christian McLeod had an awful Thursday night. Did he make it out of the third inning? Bedner pitched good, allowed two runs in, in five innings. That's about what State wants out of your starting pit, out of their starting pitchers. And then Saturday, Houston Harding starts instead of Jackson Fristo, and he was, you know, just as bad as McLeod. I'm not sure. I don't remember if he made it out of the third inning or not either. You know, it was just uh, really bad. They just come out there and, you know, after that, all of a sudden you're playing from behind and having to throw some bullpen arms. And uh, Missouri's, you know, excited. They're they're winning. They're hot. You know, you let a team like that get hot and get excited, and they don't stop. So uh, I think it started with a starting pitching, and then. Um, kind of just drug on from there because it, it got rough. So where does this leave State in the national seed hunt right now? Uh, well, what do you think? I think State is still in the hunt for it, of course. You know, I think Baseball America had them as the sixth seed yesterday. Um, D1 had them ranked as low as 10. Um, so they're right around, you know, that 7-8 spot, you know, still fighting for it. I think they have they have to win two out of three this weekend at Alabama. Um, and – you know, in the grand scheme of things, this one weekend loss in Missouri doesn't really change too much. But now they have to win at least two probably at Alabama this weekend. 
and then possibly win one or two in the SEC tournament to kind of lock it in. I think, uh, you know, they, they kind of, they kind of messed around and now they're, now they're actually having to fight for it. Cause like, they basically would have had it locked in if they would just, you know, swept like they should have last weekend. And then all of a sudden, you know, then you're still fighting for first in the SEC too. Now they're, you know, one game back of playing for the, um, on Tuesday in, in Hoover, you know, they don't have the guaranteed double buy anymore. So, uh, we're going to see, um, you know, I, I, I still think they'll get a national seed. I, I would imagine they would come out this weekend and a little pissed off. Uh, you would think they would anyway, you know, that who knows? They might not, they might come out and lay an egg again, but, um, you would think they'd come out a little mad wanting to win, get back on the, uh, get back on track. And then, you know, depending on who they're facing in, uh, in Hoover, whenever that, whenever those matchups come out, if they play well this weekend, you know, maybe need to win one or two there. So, well, Ole Miss closes at Georgia and uh, the uh, Vanderbilt series win, I think we just went a long way toward uh, helping them get into a regional host spot. I think they got to win one more. I think they, they got to win at least one at Georgia. I think a 17 and 13 regular season would lock that up for them going into the SEC tournament. But, you know, with uh, State losing twice to Missouri, the, the benefactor there really is Ole Miss because they're just a game back now. You know, if State stumbles again and Ole Miss wins the series, if they somehow you – know, they can't finish tied, they got to finish a, a game ahead uh, of State. But if they – if it finishes that way, then Ole Miss, which I thought was a real long shot for the double bye, um, you know, suddenly with uh, just being a game out, uh, you know, they're back in the conversation for that. But uh, they would have to play really well uh, at Georgia and get help from Alabama. Hey, folks, we're going to talk a little college football in the program now. I visited with uh, Marty O'Malley, who is the executive director for a nonprofit group, LaMarche, uh, excuse me, Larsh, uh, in Mobile, Alabama. And Lane Kiffin is going to be a guest speaker at a fundraiser that they are having uh, next week. And uh, it's not just uh, Lane Kiffin on the ticket. It's a really impressive uh, college football ticket with uh, some other big names there. Uh, Brian Harson, the new Auburn coach, will speak. Uh, Brett Bielema, now at Illinois, uh, is, is coming back to speak. And, and some others as well. Uh, Kane Womack, that uh, – Ole Miss fans will remember as uh, a GA on staff when his dad, Dave Womack, was defensive coordinator. So uh, really interesting event, and uh, we're going to listen to uh, an interview now with uh, Marty O'Malley. I'm joined now by Marty O'Malley, the executive director for Larsh Mobile. Uh, the 27th annual pigskin preview is coming up, and he's going to speak with us about that. Ordinarily, Marty, an, an event in Mobile would be out of range for many of our listeners, but this is a virtual event, so they can easily uh, join in and hear from some some really big college football names, <clears throat> including Ole Miss coach Lane Kiffin. Uh, so, can you tell us just a little bit about this event and uh, and and what people can expect? Yeah, thanks, Parrish, for uh, having me on. And it is our twenty seventh annual uh, fall football preview, and it um, began uh, as sort of a we didn't think it would be very successful 27 years ago. Uh, Mickey Godfrey, who was on our board of directors, the wife of uh, Mike Godfrey, who was long-term coach and ESPN analyst, came up with this crazy idea of having people come together and talk about college football. And we thought, well, we didn't know if anybody would show up. And the first year, uh, 
we had to delay it because the day of our dinner, we had a hurricane in Mobile. So we postponed it a week thinking, well, good idea, but it just won't work. We had to turn people away the first year. And so over the years, it's been a very successful uh, event for us, our organization, which is large, and our organization provides homes for people with and without intellectual disabilities. And so over the years, it's just grown. And um, the last uh, 10 years, we averaged between seven to 900 people. Uh, it's held on campus at the University of South Alabama. And unfortunately, COVID uh, threw a couple curveballs to us like it has to everybody else in the world. And last year, we decided instead of canceling, we would try to do something virtual. virtual. And we, we did very successful. Uh, we had about 2,500 people viewing the, the event. We can't call it a dinner because we're not serving food. So, um, so this year, we, uh, our committee meets in January, starting to put the program together. And we felt there were too many uncertainties and trying to plan ahead of having a dinner and our population is pretty vulnerable medically. So we felt like it was, again, uh, the best decision to do a virtual event. Well, I'll tell you, uh, on those lines, uh, and I know you've only done this once, but I'm wondering if, if virtual would be something that, that you might do as a sideline and make also available when, when people can come together again, because uh, the names that I see listed here uh, have a have a broad range of, of a lot of people who might not be able to reach uh, the the in person event. But uh, if if you would, I, I'll let you address that and and then take us into some of the names on the list and some of the speakers that you have. Yeah, certainly, our world is wide open as far as how we're going to proceed in the future, and um, uh, we've learned a lot of things both as an organization and also hosting events over the last year. And so you're right. I mean, do we broadcast our live portion in the future um, as a virtual event as well? And we'll have to see how the logistics of that is. Um, this year, we, we um, are fortunate. We have four uh, Division One coaches. And normally our dinner, what we try to do is have a, a SEC coach. Um, and then obviously being in from Alabama, we're always having a Alabama and Auburn representative. So over the years, we'd have um, Coach Saban or uh, Malzahn from Auburn, Alabama. Uh, and if if it wasn't their years, then we would always broadcast out. So uh, we had LSU head coach, Florida head coach, Florida State. Um, uh, so we just try to provide, provide a variety Obviously, the cornerstone is Alabama and Auburn as well, obviously. So, um, so this year, uh, looking at our, our um, speakers, uh, Coach Kiffin uh, was gracious to uh, be open to participate. And Coach Kiffin came when he was the first-year offensive coordinator at Alabama. So he's familiar with Larsh, familiar with our program and what we mean to the Mobile area. Brett Bielema, who's the um, current head coach at Illinois, it was an interesting story. Uh, when he was the head coach at Arkansas, he, he attended our dinner and was a huge success. I mean, uh, very people oriented. And um, so, but he created a little friendship with my son 
And over the years, they stayed in contact. And when he was named the Illinois head coach, we talked to him and actually visited him briefly. And lo and behold, he's willing to, you know, participate. And, you know, we also understand that Mobile is a recruiting area for many, many schools. So uh, who knows who Coach Bielema might look at. Um, and then Auburn's head coach uh, being new, we felt it would be really important for people to have an opportunity to get to know him. So Coach Harson has agreed to participate. And then obviously, since we're based in Mobile, we've always been connected to the University of South Alabama. And so Coach Womack, who's in his first year, um, is participating. And a little story about South Alabama. When they started their program, oh, maybe 10 years ago, uh, their coach, uh, Joey Jones, who I think is coaching in Mississippi, I'm not sure exactly what school, but um, uh, Coach Jones would come to our dinner as a participant before they actually had a program. And he was uh, really excited about that because he got to promote his program uh, in front of our audience. And the first year he attended, we had a thousand people. So he was there promoting uh, his dream. Well, after they actually began, one of the residents of L'Arche, uh, a young man with Down syndrome, wanted to be a football coach. So we contacted Coach Jones and said, Coach, could Jamie help? And so over the years, and this continued with uh, Coach Campbell, uh, Jamie was uh, uh, participated in practicing as far as helping in the uh, equipment room. And then game days, he would be what they called the team man. So once South Alabama kicked off uh, and the play ended, Jamie would run on the field, pick up the tee and run back. And whenever South was kicking off, instead of everybody hunting for the tee, they just yell out Jamie's name and he came running over and give the tee to the kicker. So, so there was a lot of fruits of our dinner that, um, you know, uh, have been very helpful for us as an organization. You mentioned that Lane Kiffin, um, participated while an assistant at, at Alabama. How does, uh, how does Lane do it in a setting like this? I mean, I see him in interviews. I see him on the sidelines. Uh, mostly we see him on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, yeah. how, how, does, uh, how, how, does, uh, how does he engage uh, with the audience in an event like this? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure exactly how many people we have. Probably about seven, 800 people uh, the night that uh, Coach Kiffin came. And you know, this was his first year at Alabama. And as people know, Coach Saban is a pretty, um, he's the one that's usually in front of the media. And, and Coach Saban's been very, very grateful for, to us. Whenever we've asked for someone to participate, he's always been okay with that. And, and I think he trusts us, you know. Um, so Coach Kiffin, I think, was a little nervous because it was his first public appearance. And, um, I think he was very cautious on what he was going to be saying, but he was very, he had a number of funny uh, little jokes about coach Saban. And uh, I don't know if they ever got back to coach Saban or not, but, um, and, you know, he was also projecting as far as, you know, what he was seeing and excited about being an offensive coordinator, um, especially under coach Saban. So I think people in um, at Ole Miss are, are very fortunate. Um, obviously he's a, incredible offensive coach's mind and 
And um, I think he brought a lot of excitement last year to the program. And so I think that people should be very uh, fortunate to have him and, and representing your the program there. Do you find that coaches uh, in this setting are pretty forthcoming about their teams? Do they share much uh, information or, or, or are they mostly telling life stories? Well, it's a combination. Um, our, part, our audience wants the X's and O's. I mean, the, it's amazing. Uh, we usually get feedback, obviously, from our participants. Um, and, but over the years, um, what we've seen is a combination. So uh, there are some very good storytellers and uh, very funny people that are coaches. Um, there's others that are a little more reserved and maybe a little bit more fearful of being in front of uh, a thousand people to, to speak. Um, but it's been entertaining, uh, both entertaining as far as uh, funny stories, but also I think entertaining um, where people can hear from coaches some of the inside information on college football. Obviously, they're a little protected of, you know, given particulars about their program. But one year, for example, we had um, a coach from Alabama, and uh, he, uh, I think half the things he said, people really weren't understanding what he said because of his accent and how fast he was talking. But afterwards, I think if we get football helmets to people in the audience, they all would have put on football helmets and started playing football right in the midst of our dinner. So it was very exciting for the crowd to have him there, even though they didn't understand some of what he was saying. I, I know you've got a busy schedule today. I'm, I'm wondering if get one more question. Tell us a little bit more about Larsh, please, and uh, maybe share uh, one of the one or two of the success stories there. I know you mentioned the young man uh, who, who wants to be a coach, but uh, are, are there others? Sure, surely some other stories there. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Larsh, we're in an organization where people with and without intellectual disabilities uh, share life together. We've been in Mobile for 47 years, and we make a lifetime commitment to the men and women that we're involved with. So one man, Willie, uh, he's been with us for 47 years. And Willie um, grew up uh, in the institution, which is uh, pretty typical for some of our folks. And when he first came, um, Willie was obviously coming from an institution, had a lot of transition to make as far as what it means to live in a family-like environment, which is what we try to create. And uh, so over the course of the years, Willie has really transitioned from, you know, being a little bit uh, uh, wild, if you want to put it that way, to now, uh, after being here 47 years, he's truly the grandfather of our community. And um, we've re helped him re reconnect with some of his family. He's part Creek Indian. So we've had to learn some of their uh, culture to help him. And you know, Willie will stay with us until he dies, which who knows when. I mean, Willie is now 71 years old and uh, with the way modern medicine is and he's very healthy, uh, even though about three years ago he suffered a stroke, which for us, we then have to train our team, which is our staff, of how to help support somebody like Willie who now has a little bit more complicated medical issues. So we have 25 individuals with disabilities that we're involved with. And our team, which is the term we use for our employees, uh, we have 55 
and they're very committed people who not only uh, work hard with us, but then they bring in their family. So we're one big extended family, which, which has been really complicated with COVID, but we've uh, really navigated it pretty well with the support, not just of our team, but also the surrounding community. Marty, good stuff, man. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Parrish. And hopefully next year you can actually come to the Mitchell Center and participate. That was Marty O'Malley. Lane Kiffin will uh, be among a handful of guest speakers, some big names in college football at that uh, fundraiser for Larsh Mobile. And uh, we will post the information in the Facebook group. You'll be able to uh, log in and watch that uh, if you would like. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, the podcast that talks SEC through the lens of Mississippi. Check out our work at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. We're on Facebook as well. Ole Miss discussion with Parrish Alford, Mississippi State discussion with Dalton Middleton. Lots of good things in those groups. Thanks for being with us, folks. Come back and join us tomorrow.